You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. As a society, what should we do with useless people? Um, I think we should try to support them as much as possible. Give them a purpose. I think, yeah, I think we should under, like try to find them a purpose. I feel like everyone has a purpose, even if they don't know what it is, and I feel like we should help them. What do you do with useless people? Um, pretty much nothing, avoid them. Okay. We work with them and try to help them, take care of them. Yeah, I'd say about yeah. what she said. Yeah. I think we should help them become more useful. If there's ways they can work, if there's ways they can help other people or do things, I help. I think we should help them where we can, but not if they're being useless because of laziness, not encourage it. We should look at the people we deem useless and look at the sets of t- skills or talents they have and put them to use accordingly. A fish can swim all it's want, but if it's told its whole life it's supposed to climb a tree, it'll never do anything. What do we do with useless people? You know, do what you have to do and kind of just discard them. I don't necessarily believe that anybody is useless. Everybody has a reason, everybody has a purpose. We're all here for a reason. Nobody is personally useless. It's the goodness in your heart of what's inside of you that makes you the decency of a person. By what guidelines do we uh, determine that humanity? And it's, uh, if, uh, if a person doesn't want to be useful in society, if they don't want to contribute, then I, I honestly don't know. What do we do with useless people? This is a question that was asked in a book that came out earlier this year. In March, I think the book came out. It was called uh, Homo Deus, which means human gods. Written by a guy named Yuval Noah Harari. He's a historian. So he studies the human race. And uh, he's written books in the past about history. And this book was different for him because he wrote about the future. And he noticed some trends that are going on in our human society that are different than trends that have ever happened in the past. And he, he proposes some ideas in this book about what our future might look like. One of the things that he talks about is that in the very uh, near future for us, uh, there will be a relatively jobless society. He suggests that uh, given the rate at which our jobs are currently being replaced by computers, um, and that rate is only increasing, as compared to the rate the new jobs for humans are being created, it's inevitable that a large percentage of humanity uh, will not only be unemployed, but unemployable, obsolete, useless. Kind of a crazy, crazy idea, but maybe not so crazy. And, and he's talking about this large class of people. It's not 10, 15, 20%. It's like 50 plus percent that he imagines in the next 10 to 20 years will happen. Now it's might be hard to imagine. In fact, I think for, for a lot of people, uh, it is. I, I had a, I've had conversations in the last uh, week or two as, as I brought up this topic to see what people's reactions are to it. And, uh, and I've been surprised by uh, probably 60, 70% of the people that I've talked to that don't think this is a possibility at all whatsoever. It's not a possibility that computers will take uh, a majority of human jobs. And uh, and I'm not here to convince you this morning that, that, that this will happen, all right? That this is our future. But I will say 
that as I've even spent a little bit of time researching this topic, it seems to me that the experts, who I would assume to be the experts, uh, the economic theorists and the computer programmers in Silicon Valley and uh, who are making the artificial intelligence, that these people are preparing for that future because they think that it, it could be a reality. Now Harari says that, that the biggest problem um, with having this large class of people who don't have work, the biggest problem wouldn't be providing for their basic needs. All right? Already in Silicon Valley, they're, they're planning something like a universal income for everybody, whether or not you work. And so, so food and shelter and things like that might not even be an issue. He says the biggest problem, if no one works, would be providing people with a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning. So even though I realize that some of this is uh, still speculation, I also realize that uh, it's worth considering. And as Christians, as the church, I think too often we've tended to be reactive. We play the game of, of wait and see. But wait and see, I don't think is wise if it's done in ignorance, Right? And if this does happen where there's a large class of of human beings who are in great need, searching for purpose, should not the church, should not we Christians be the first responders to this great potential need in the future? I think we should. And so here's my my proposition for this morning is that um, the next step for some of us, I believe, is not just to write this off, but is to explore this idea with an open mind, to to get ahead of the issue. Um, And and the way we're going to do this is... Uh, we're going to read this book, Homo Deus, that was on the screen. Um, it, if you forget the name of it, it's also in the app. You can download the Schweitzer app and look at my sermon notes. Uh, we ask you to order this book. If this future idea stuff interests you, order this book. And then in a month, on Wednesday, August 16th, we're going to meet at 630 in the Fellowship Center. Those meeting details are in the app, and they'll be online, and et cetera. Um, and we're just going to have a discussion. And Jason's going to lead, Pastor Jason's going to lead that discussion. And we're going to see if there's anything that we as a church should be doing, Okay. So it's enough about that aspect of this question this morning. What do you do with useless people today? We saw on the video a few different responses, and there were a few different categories. The first two are reflective of our culture, and I'll, I'll share them with you here. The first one, kind of one and the same, is either avoid or discard them. We should either avoid or discard useless people. Now this, whether or not we'd like to admit it, is the reality of our culture. And not even just our culture today. I think this is the reality of the history of the human race, is that useless people have been across time, or people who have been deemed useless, have been discarded and or avoided. And if we're honest with ourselves, we all do that to an extent. We avoid people or discard people who don't bring any clear value or benefit to our lives. That reflects the reality of our culture. But the second response is more interesting, I think. And there was a girl or or two who said, we should give them a purpose. Help them find a purpose. Provide them with something to do. Now this reflects not so much the reality of culture, but the idealism of culture. And it's false idealism. Here's here's what I mean. It's based on two bad assumptions. 
The first is that meaning or purpose can just be given, can just be created, can just be conjured up out of nowhere. Now, my wife and I, we are in the process of making a kitchen table currently. And as the creators of this kitchen table, we have a purpose for it. Okay, the purpose is so that we can eat dinner on it, have family dinners, maybe even put some books on it here and then or whatever, but, but we have a purpose for creating this table. If that table goes on and somehow decides, you know what, I want to explore the world. That's my purpose for my life. Not only will he fail miserably to explore the world, he can't move. All right, that purpose is superficial. It's not real. He can't just decide to explore the world. He can't just decide to be and do something that he he doesn't want to be, to live for a purpose that he wasn't created for. I, the creator, decided why he was made. I, the creator, give him a purpose as to why he's still continues in existence, and I can end his life at any time. And so here's the, the fallibility in what culture says about, about coming up with purpose, is that it neglects this idea that we were created by God. That God is not only our creator who created us for a very specific purpose, he's also our sustainer who decides whether or not we continue living, and he decides when our life is over. And so we can fool ourselves into thinking that, yeah, I'm living for this reason, for this purpose. That's the reason I live. But you really only live because for the reason that God created you. And you continue to live for that exact same reason. He is in control of our lives, not us. That's that's the biblical message there. Now, the second bad assumption that the culture relies on here is that all purposes are equally useful, equally valuable. Okay, let's say that um, with this kitchen table analogy, I decide that the table is, uh, is for eating on, right? Makes sense. Well, maybe Kayla decides that this table is beautiful and it's just to look at. And that's really the purpose of this table now is we did such a good job that I don't want to use it at all. I just want to look at it. And then our daughter, Mika, who's one, she, she decides that this table is a great drum for, for spoons. And so, and so that's her purpose. And all of our purposes conflict with one another, all right? Because as, as Mika beats on this table like a drum, it ruins its, its beauty. The same for eating on it. And I, I want to eat on the table, but Kayla doesn't want to. She just wants to look at it. And, so, and this is what happens in the world. Everybody comes up with their own purpose for living, and we have a society of people who don't really know what they're living for, who think they do, are living in conflict with one another, and feel justified in doing so. You know, my truth is my truth, and your truth is your truth, and, and no one really, there's no truth that's false because all truth is, is real, and, and so no one's really wrong, it's all true. You, you know what Jesus' response to that is? Is I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. There's one truth. That's what the scriptures say. You want to be actually useful? You want your life to amount to something? You want to know what your purpose is? Follow me here. There was something, a document written in, in uh, the 17th century called the Westminster Catechism. 
and a group of theologians got together from the Church of Scotland and the Church of England, and they wrote this big, long list of doctrine that they thought that every Christian should know. And the very first thing on that list, I believe, are the most important words ever written in humanity outside of Scripture. So it, it, it would suit you well to memorize these words, all right? I, I'm serious about this, so I'll, I'll put them on the screen. What is the chief end of man? That means what is the purpose of our lives? What is the reason for our existence? Above all other things, what is the ultimate goal? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Sit with that for a second. What is my reason for existence? Why did God create me? Why does he continue to let me live? What is my purpose? It is nothing other than and nothing less than to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Anything in our lives that we do that doesn't serve that greater purpose is destructive to our lives. And no matter how valuable those things seem on a temporary, short-term time scale, they are the opposite of valuable. They are worthless. They steal value and potential and usefulness from our lives. Paul says in Philippians 3, he says, I had all these things. I was known in my, in my town. Um, I was super wise. I was, I was the head of you know, the religious leaders and I was moving up in the world and born into a good family, et cetera, et cetera. And he goes, but then I found Christ. He says, I count all of that as rubbish, as trash, as compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Anything that we do is valuable only to the extent that it accomplishes that goal. So to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And here's the thing. You can't glorify God and you can't enjoy God apart from God. You can't glorify God. You can't enjoy God apart from God. Therefore, we are useless by definition apart from God. All of us. I want to read you. I forgot my Bible today, so I'm going to pull out John 15 here. I just want you to listen. These words aren't going to be on the screen. Just listen. These are the words of Jesus to his disciples. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. What Jesus means when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. There's a sense that, that literally you can't breathe, you can't continue to live, you can't move this arm or do, you know, speak or what, without me. He means that literally, but also he means, apart from me, you can do nothing of value. Apart from me, your life will amount to nothing. You think your work is good and valuable in and of itself? Not apart from me. Do you think you have a healthy marriage that can last and and give you life forever? Nope. Not apart from me. You think you can make a difference in the world, make a difference in people's lives? You think you can live a life that matters? No, not apart from me you can't. It's not possible. You think that your religion, your prayers, your tithes, your service, you think that that matters? No, not apart from me. It doesn't. It's all empty. It's just empty religion. It's the worst kind of religion. It hurts you more than anything else. Every decision you make in life, whether it's going to college, whether it's uh, deciding what job to take, whether it's deciding to have another kid, or deciding which city to live in, whether it's uh, what age you retire at, The list goes on. Every decision you make in life will amount to nothing, is of no value whatsoever when it is done apart from me. So in a twist of fate, our question, um, what do you do with useless people, becomes more so a question of, of, what do I do with myself? (laughs) How do we be useful? And I love what, uh, this is kind of a famous Bible passage in Romans 12, and Eugene Peterson says it this way. He says, here's what you do. You take your everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and walking around life, and you place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. You give your lives to God. Now, when I was in high school, um, the book of Ecclesiastes was, became very important to me because I had, um, I had this vision of a great future, you know, successful, hot wife, got that, uh, all of these, you know, uh, <laughs> make a lot of money, you know, have a bunch of friends, just do, but you have this picture of a life that's really easy to envision, especially in your, in your youth, you know, um, we all had, had dreams, and, and uh, that was all by my own. I just, I envisioned myself accomplishing all of those things with ease, you know. And, uh, and the book of Ecclesiastes really changed me. It really formed me because the very first words of that book are vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Other translations say uh, all is meaningless. Everything is meaningless, completely meaningless, 
And he goes on and he just laments about the way the world is. He's like, history just repeats itself. Injustice um, keeps happening. The wicked prosper. Uh, Greater knowledge really just leads to greater sadness. Pleasure is fleeting. Uh, Political rulers and kingdoms rise and fall. and, And whether you're wise or whether you're foolish, it doesn't matter. Everybody shares the same fate. No matter what your life is, no matter where you're from or what you've done, your lifestyle, we all share the same fate, and that fate is death. And every person eventually dies and then remains dead. What's the point? It's futile, it's empty, it's worthless, it's meaningless. And if these thoughts have never kept you up at night, I don't know that you've thought about them hard enough. There's so much truth in what he has to say. And it's important that we understand that truth because if we don't, we won't understand the most important thing about our faith, which is the resurrection. Here's what I mean. If Jesus Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then he is just one more guy who died and remained dead. If Jesus Christ wasn't raised from the dead, my preaching, our faith is useless and our hope is in just another dead guy. Right? If Jesus Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then the power of sin and death is still on me, is still on you. Our sins have not been forgiven. We have not received the Holy Spirit. And we remain useless. Our lives remain meaningless. If Jesus Christ was not raised from the dead, then Christianity is no different than every other religion where every person is left to save themselves. But Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He was raised from the dead. He did conquer death. He did conquer the power of sin in our lives. And when we entrust our lives to him, we attach ourselves to him, we receive the resurrection, the power of new life that was given to Jesus Christ that he imparts to us. In every aspect of our lives, the past, the present, and the future, goes to work for God's good purposes. Now that's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's the life that you can have this morning. It's time that we give our lives back to God again and again and again, and to never stop. The band's gonna come up, I'm gonna pray, and uh, I just invite you this morning. Um, I don't care if you, if you gave your life to God yesterday or you've been doing it for the last thousand years or if you never have before, um, if you feel compelled this morning to give your life to God again, find a way to do that in worship. We have 
The prayer rail's up here. You can come and worship and just, just say, God, I'm yours again. Redeem my life. Make me useful. Fulfill my purpose for you. We have the prayer wall over there where you can write your prayers. You can stand in your seat and raise your hands. Just try it for once. Raise your hands and worship. Feels great. All right. Do something to give your life back to God. Lord, we, uh, we thank you. We thank you for the good news that Jesus Christ has been raised and that this, our futile ways are no longer, no longer futile. They no longer have the power and control over us that they used to. We thank you for um, the purpose for which you've created us, which is to live in a loving relationship with you and with others. So not only bring you glory, but to share your glory that you give to us. What an incredible honor, God. Uh, I pray that you help us this morning to enjoy you and that you enjoy us. Let this time of worship be a time uh, of true communion, fellowship with one another and with you. And where we just leave this place um, ready to take on the world in your name and for your glory and for our joy. Amen.